in the Word a good bit, so you're going to need to have your Bible or um, your cell phone, or if you have an old manuscript, you can use that. But I really uh, appreciate the singing, boy. Um, everybody seemed to uh, really get into it, get inspired, and, and be encouraged. And, and but you know, I was sitting back there and, and singing, and sometimes I couldn't hear you guys as much. And I know I used to be singing a lot. I will not do that any longer. There's better song leaders in here than me. <laughs> But it was so frustrating when you put a lot of work into things and then people just kind of uh, look at you. And I think, I know some of us don't have a very good voice. We all know that. It's okay. But we got to give it more power. I mean, we've got to give it everything. Just act like you just heard that you won $100 million in the lottery. How would you be singing? Would you care what people thought? Would you need the approval of those around you to sing out and scream and jump and take your clothes off and run around? I don't know. Well, you know, just to the underlings. But you know what I'm talking about. And we've got to realize we've been given a tremendous amount. Amen. And we cannot worry what people think around us. And if we even sat a little bit closer together, we would act like we, you know, are family and we love one another. But I know sometimes I come in and I kind of like see a few seats out here, you know. That just gives me room to stretch out. Well, I'm not here to stretch out and be comfortable. I'm here to be family and get close. Amen. Singing's better, right? Amen. And if you have a terrible voice, it's hidden, right? Amen. Just sit next to a couple people that really can sing. And I'm telling you, you'll and just smile. And everyone will think that's you. Like, oh, man, he's cranking back there. Unbelievable. But we can always improve in these areas. And I, I appreciate uh, the song leading. The band last week was phenomenal. The singing this morning was with the background and the preparation and the melody. We are blessed with great, great song leaders. So let's jump on in, okay? And to have some fun with it ourselves. I want to talk about something that I find personally, and I think it, it, it's probably true with most of us. The greatest challenge we face as Christians is believing in a personal God. And the emphasis on, is on personal. <clears throat> now, we can envision God as creator. Amen. You know, yep. we expect that. Well, yeah, no one had to do it. He created it. He's a creator. He's the prime mover behind all of existence. He's moving. He's the prime mover. We know that God works through history. Because that's kind of an intellectual process and an intellectual transition as He moves and works in people's lives. We expect God to do that. We see His power and evidence and the evidence of His existence all around us. 
But sometimes I end up with a picture of God as Conan the Barbarian. As he's sitting on his throne, where he's got his fist under his chin, and he's looking over his domain with all that power and that big arm sticking out, you know. Well, kind of like, no, I guess not. But anyway... (laughs) You expect him to be powerful. Everything in control. Intelligence. I mean, Wikipedia is nothing but a footnote in the intelligence of God. All that information is just a small grain of sand compared to all the knowledge that God has. But the question I have in my life is, what does God feel? Does he feel the way I feel? Can he possibly have those feelings? It kind of scares me to let God feel the way I feel sometimes, because, you know, I don't know know, what I'm feeling. (laughs) I'm rocking around the house, you know, we're going to have a talk with Kathy. What am I feeling? What am I feeling? What am I feeling? You know. What does God feel? Because the idea that God is perfectly balanced in all of His attributes leaves Him a little stiff, don't you think? A little bit unrelatable. What are you going to say to impress God if you're in a conversation with Him? What are you going to talk about? The accomplishments of your life All of these things. Yet it's the sharing of experiences and emotions that bring us together in relationship. God knows how we feel. It is now our responsibility to search for how God feels in order to get Him on a personal level. You know, there's two sides of the relationship, obviously. Obviously, We're over here with all of our mess. Pride. Greed. Selfishness. Impatience. Anger. Adultery. Immorality. Etc. 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 Then over here you have God with all of His perfection. All of that perfection. No flaw at all. As long as God kind of looks like that to us and all He is is perfection with no feeling, we end up either praying these endless I'm sorry prayers. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I don't want to get you mad, God. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or you end up praying for things. Well, you got the power. I need some things. <laughs> not going to be any emotion in this relationship. There got to be some things. That's how I was raised. There was no relationship with parents, but they had things. I thought it was kind of a good deal until I grew up and realized, well, there's a real void there. And now it's affecting my relationship with God, which I don't appreciate, 
Because now I've got to put all the work into making God personal. Giving him a chance to have some feeling. Didn't Jesus weep? Why, why would you weep? Knowing that Lazarus is going to be raised. If one of your kids, you had the power to heal, and one of your kids came in and leg was almost cut open, and they're screaming at the top of their voice, yeah, don't worry about it, just touch it, it's healed. No crying, what are we crying for? I got the power, don't worry about it. Yet Jesus wept. He's opening up a window for us if we want to go in. He's opening up a world. The the world of the emotions of God. Which is a a tremendous study. And we're going to study it this morning soon. We find ourselves looking for the hole, you know, in the wall that we have a lot of times between us and God. Something to connect with. Something that gives us insight to how he feels. I mean, in order to have a relationship, you got to imagine yourself sitting down and having a conversation with someone, you know? But like I said, how do we do that with God? I mean, how do we initiate the conversation? Well, how, how are you doing? That's stupid. God's always doing well. That's going to work. Well, did you have a good day? Yeah, I'm God. Always have a good day. Did you get a lot done today? Did everything I planned to do. Perfect day. Everything on my to-do list is completed. Back about three hours early. We search for the feelings of God at the cross. We say, what's the cross? Yeah, but what did God say at the cross? Sure, there's a huge statement there. You know, and we, but we're left to having interpreted and implying it and trying to deal with how we put that into perspective with all of our emotions and feelings about God. It's kind of like, have you ever noticed how confused we are sometimes at what we're supposed to be feeling in church? I mean, we get supercharged. I mean, we were singing this morning. Even last week, the band was cranking. Man, I was even dancing. Can you believe that? It felt great. And I'm in this celebratory mood of celebrating. And all of a sudden, we're now going to do the Lord's Supper. Okay, now I'm supposed to be thinking something else. All right, let me go down. Down, down, down. From being so up. We take about, you know, a few thoughts, and then we take the, the bread and the wine or whatever it is other thing we eat. I'm assuming it's unleavened bread. Never looked at the ingredients, but I'm trusting. <laughs> Right. And then we're supposed to kind of come halfway up for the contribution. 
say, kind of get your emotions back up. Yeah, I got to give. And we always say to the visitors, you know, don't feel obligated. Don't feel obligated to give. But I just want to say, hey, if you want to put a hundred grand in that plate, we will take it. <laughs> That's what I like to say. But you know, you're not going to be judged on that. But if you want to give, we love that. <laughs> so we fight, we struggle with what to do with our emotions in this hour of time that we say we come together to worship God. Sometimes I kind of go out just feeling kind of dizzy. I've been up and down and all around and, hey, brother, how you doing? And, you know, just trying to grab on to something to settle down and get back centered as to what I really need to be. You've never felt that? Oh, good. I'm glad somebody's with me. People over there going. So let's go to the prophet... Hosea. It was in the Old Testament, obviously. Come on, Marty. <clears throat> Prophets were God spoken, God spokesmen in the ancient uh, religion of Israel. They have a spokesman to their generation in their particular time to give direction to the nation of Israel as to what they would do. They didn't listen very often to the prophets. But the prophets had the responsibility of giving that information. Kind of a conduit through which God would speak and clarify his message for the people. But not so with Hosea. And we'll read a little different situation with the prophet Hosea. Look at verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diplaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the valley, to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lu Rohama, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After he weaned Lo Rohama, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. You go, whoa. Who left that letter at my doorstep? You know. Special delivery from God. Here, Hosea, here's what you're going to do. Signs for it, opens it up. Says you're going to go and take an adulterous wife. 
In other words, if you understand the, the, the original word for Gomer, it has a lot to do with prostitution. So it's kind of a thing you're saying, go marry a prostitute. Go give your heart to someone whose heart you will never have. You want to feel the emotions of God? You want to see His feelings? As He goes after the world with His love and His determination, with His complete openness, with His sacrifice, and there's no response. Back and forth, back and forth, somehow trying to understand how to move us where we need to be. He's consistently working in our lives. <clears throat> Think about that. God told you, hey, go find a man or a woman. Go find one that's going to be unfaithful to you. That's the one I want you to bring back. And you're standing there marrying him knowing the I do is a little flaky. All the glitter there, you know, decorations, flowers, all the things that go along with the wedding. But no heart. And no real love. You want to feel that? I think all of us have been betrayed at one time or another. We've either been hurt by someone who's very close to us, stuck us in the back. Maybe we've been involved in some with in relation with someone who committed adultery. But we've all been betrayed. And it hurts all of us. We understand that pain. And we move on. Now, how does God move on? How does he move on with your continual in and out nonsense, you know, that we go through sometimes? Sometimes I don't know where I'm at. Am I in the kingdom still? I don't know. But God never pulls back. You think after you knocked on that door enough, there wouldn't be anybody to answer it. I think we knock on it once and it opens. God eagerly wants to draw near to us. But that's how he feels. Doesn't mean he's any less a God. But that's how he feels. But he's eager and, and excited and, and you know wants to see all of us. But there is an in and outness that he has to go through in dealing with us. But he still loves us. And he wants to spend eternity with you. Figure that one out. I don't have an answer to that except it's awesome. Hosea was called to feel what God feel, to experience the experience of God. 
and communicate out of that pain of what the Israelites were doing to the relationship with Jehovah God. All Gomer knew as a harlot at that time was just loveless sex. All she knew. Hosea's love did not feel the void. That's kind of discouraging. When you can't please your wife and she still wants to go out and be with other men, you kind of let go, oh, okay. That was stuff on Hosea. He had to feel that. With God having so much to offer and see it turned down more often than not. Give God credit for having some tears up there, you know? Like feeling for crying out loud. What else do I have to do? What else do I have to offer? I don't have a picture of God being all confused like, oh, what am I going to do? messed up this time. But I think he feels that. He wanted to show us that he feels that by sending his son and communicating through that. Where Jesus is now our brother is able to communicate back to the Father the actual experience and bring the experience of humankind really into the Godhead. Kind of a mystery when you think about it. God's always the vulnerable one. You know, after you've been in a number of relationships, you keep getting hurt, what do you do? <clears throat> you just say, forget it. I'm going to church, but I ain't talking to anybody. <laughs> Not that sister. <laughs> she right now. We. <laughs> But God never does that. As much as he's hurt, as much pain as he feels, giving credit for feeling, as much pain as he feels, he still initiates relationship after relationship. It's amazing. He's always the one who opens his heart and gets hurt. Always the one who is betrayed. I mean, ask, when did God ever hurt you? When did He ever betray you? And yet the temptation is always to betray Him and to turn from Him. When has He never not put your interests above His? But notice how God is torn. And this is something I want us to see. Notice in chapter 2.
and you're going to miss that relationship because that relationship was close to you, which is a reason it hurts so bad. Yeah. Right? So you go back and forth. Go and you forgive. All of that. Yeah, it's okay. All of that. Watch that knife. <laughs> and then something hits you. Maybe a pain that won't go away. God, brother, man, that guy, I tell you, I, I wish I could have knifed him. <laughs> you get these feelings. You go back over here. You go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Maybe you never say you want to knife anybody. You wouldn't go as far as I go. But anyway, <laughs> you know, sorry. <laughs> but notice what the first reaction that God has here. Chapter 2, verse 2. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she's not my wife, and I'm not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip, strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert. Turn her into a parched land. Slay her with thirst. I will not show my love for her children because they are children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. See, where did Hosea get these emotions? See, he's communicating the emotions and feelings of God. He's a prophet, right? So now he's in the he's in the middle of it with God. He's going, Oh man, these are strong feelings. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way. There's this desperation. Oh yeah? Well I just surround you where you can't get out at all. Even though you don't, you know, I don't have your heart. I'm still going to surround you. I'm that desperate. You know, God is really struggling. What should I do? How much free will should I give people? Those kinds of thoughts, that pain, that agony. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as the first, for then I was better off than now. There's never a time when God's anger or feelings supersedes His love for us. In other words, there's still a sign of hope here. Yeah, I'll do that, but that'll make her come back. And that's what I really want. A lot of us, I don't want him back. (laughs) No. That man comes to my house again. A rifle's coming out. But God always has that Right? Now notice. Notice in verse 14 ish. Yeah, verse 14 of chapter 2. Notice how he's on this other side now. He's a spurned lover, but then he turns around and says, Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Then I will give her back her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, it's a valley of trouble, a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. 
And that day declares the Lord, you, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I'll remove the names of the Baals from your, her lips. No longer will her names be invoked. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, everything's going to come together. It's going to be awesome. Once again. So God moved in His emotions. He's moved in His emotions back and forth. But it seems like He always comes out on this side where He's got that hope. Reignited. He made a promise to Abraham that He would bless him through his seed. And boy, the agony that God went through to bring out, bring us to the Messiah and see all of that accomplished. God went through an amazing amount of pain. He was living with an adulterous woman who would not stay home. We'll look in chapter 3 and we'll end with this. Chapter 3, verse 1, The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again. Again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they turn to other uh, gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I guess those things taste good. <laughs> so I brought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man, and I will live with you. In other words, he had to go to the auction block, basically, because this woman had gotten so far down she had nowhere else to go unless she went into slavery where someone bought her. And God says, oh, oh no, no, Hosea, we got more work to do. Now you're going to go and buy her back. And you're going to keep buying her back. So, that, you know, there's a lot more here to uh, the book of Hosea that we won't get to. But you're going to understand what it means, not just the initial whew, cutting someone out of your life, but going back and inviting that same person, coming into the same wound again, and again, and again, and again, and again. I think Jose is a perfect book for understanding the pain and feelings and the agony of God. And I want to leave you with this thought, this picture in your mind. Let's imagine yourself on that auction block. You've lost everything. You've lost everyone. You're nothing but a person just full of guilt and shame for the way you've been living. And as you stand on the auction block, you look out and you see all in front, all the eager slave traders. With their stained teeth and teeth falling out, smiling at you. And they start bidding. They start bidding among themselves. you're getting afraid I'm going to be sold and someone in the back raises their hand doubles the bid everybody turns around 
doubles a bit. And they confer together. And they double. The guy in the back doubles it again. And he doubles it again. And he doubles it again. And again. And again. And again. And finally, the crowd kind of divides. And the man comes, he brings his son. He lays it down. So lays the body down. I'll give you that. For you. And me. That just blows me away. To even think that someone would trade their son for me. Because none of those slave traders make that bid. That silence them. Think about that. We're done for the day.